lot of people try and delay their win until X. When we have this, then we'll start winning. No, that is not how we would ever approach it with an athlete, or I would approach it with a CEO or a leader. Is you can win right now. You're yeah. just there's a blinder, there's a blind spot that's there. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversation to model the future of construction innovation and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is Todd Herman. He has been working with the highest achievers in sport and business for over two decades. He's helped clients reach the Olympic podium, build multi-million dollar companies, and more importantly, master their inner game so they enjoy the process along the way to victory. He's the creator of the multi-award-winning leadership and skills development program, 90 Day Year, and the author of the Wall Street Journal best-selling book, The Alter Ego Effect, The Power of Secret Identities to Transform Your Life, and My Super Me, a children's book to help young kids navigate tough stuff. Welcome to the show, Todd. Todd, I'm going to take you around and you're going to be my traveling PR guy now. <laughs> well, you're and, the one that has all this long list of accomplishments. It was hard to, yeah, to well, narrow and, it down. And, and now the construction world is going, okay, why are we building, why am I listening to a guy who's talking about alter egos? And so, but we'll dig into that because um, it's all applicable to these people who are trying to navigate the, uh, the, the difficult world of changing innovation in the world of like construction and just commerce in general right now. Yeah, looking forward to it for sure. You were uh, gracious enough to to come to Greatex internal one event, global event, uh, and, and talk to the whole company. So ever since then, I've been super excited to to get you on the the podcast and bring your message to to this audience. I'm really yeah. looking forward to it. Uh, so, how did you end up kind of coming into this career and, and working with with top athletes and, and business people? How does one forge that career path? Uh, well, you don't forge it. Uh, well, I, I definitely, I guess I did forge it in some way. So I started in, I started building a peak performance coaching and training business in 1997, long before there was kind of mental game coaches that were out there, which you kind of will see nowadays. It wasn't a big thing. It was kind of a little bit in the Olympic space, but I was a college football player. I was a national ranked badminton player. I'm not physically gifted. I'm not six foot four and 245 pounds of muscle. Um, but I did have two older brothers and I grew up on a big farm and ranch. And, uh, because of my, I think my two brothers more than anything else, I developed a little bit of mental toughness at a young age and, uh, kind of turned that into a process and a system for myself. And then started mentoring some young kids. And, um, because of the success I was having and because I'm a big believer in mentorship and apprenticeship, which, you know, are two big things in the, uh, construction industry as well. I, kind of tucked myself under the wing of some of the biggest names in professional sports, specifically on the mental game side of things hmm. and started working with more pro athletes, more Olympic athletes and uh, people like Kobe Bryant, uh, Real Madrid and Cristiano Ronaldo, Rafa Nadal. And then what happens is when a big business leaders hear that you're working with people like that, they're like, well, Hey, can you work with me too? And so I took my performance system and brought it into the kind of the corporate in the, in the business world and sort of the the rest has been history for the last 26 years. Yeah, that's awesome. What role does grit play in this? Because you said mental toughness. Is is grit kind of the uh, a key ingredient in the success formation? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's 
the problem with like, you know, any interview that someone brings on is like, you know, that author comes in and they're going to say, well, it's this one thing. You have to have this one thing. And I'm, I actually sort of back away from even my own stuff. And there's, there's many, many different um, causes of success, you know, an attitude of grit. Some people think of grit as if it's a, um, uh, a skill set. It's more of an attitude of at some point in time, you make the decision that no matter what, I'm always going to find a way. And, and so, and it comes back to my definition that I give people on mental toughness. Mental toughness is your ability to be flexible and adaptable despite what you're getting as circumstances or situation. Um, so let's apply that to right now. You know, technology is moving at such a rapid pace right now, whether it's AI or uh, software that's getting better and better and better. And um, for someone who's always done something a certain way to deny maybe looking at something, maybe deny optimizing something or automating something is, is actually what I would classify as a sign of uh, mental weakness because mental toughness is about flexibility and it's about adaptability. Those that are most flexible, most adaptable um, at finding new ways to hit an outcome are the ones that are then less stressed and less anxious. Hmm. If you're finding yourself massively stressed and massively anxious, for me, it is a signal that maybe there's a lack of flexibility and adaptability that's going on inside of that organism, whether it's an individual, a team, or a company. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. What have you noticed is the kind of similarities and then the, the differences between people in, in sport, the top performing athletes, and people that are at the top of their game in the business world? Uh, well, they both have super high levels of risk tolerance. Um, in fact, there was a study that was done about five or six years ago, analyzing different, uh, roles and kind of career paths and, um, entrepreneurs or business leaders and athletes ranked second when it came to risk tolerance. Mm -hmm. The number one was actually generals in the military. Um, and and but the differences between the two because a lot of people ask me because they still know that even though i sold my company to real madrid i had built up such a big name in the kind of pro sports and olympic world and have such you know so many contacts around the world i still get people who ping me and i still mentor and i i feel like in order for me to still be sharp i got to be on the field of play you know like the moment you start moving away and just writing books i think you've lost a lot of nuance and and so I'll, people ask me like, which one's harder, which one's easier, whatever. And mm -hmm. most people think that I would say the harder one would be the athlete. And it's the exact opposite. The harder one, hundred percent is business because an athlete, if you think about it, their entire field of play is already designed for them, right? There's the chalk marks around the, the field or the, the paint around the court. Mm -hmm. And then there's already rules that are made about what you can do out there. How many people are allowed out there? What the game kind of looks like, you know, where to actually aim the ball or shoot the puck and all this kind of stuff. So the only thing that the athlete has to do is really hone their instrument and develop their skill set. So in business though, if you're an entrepreneur, you're handed a pencil or a pen and said, okay, go build your business, design your business model, design like, and so there's, so much more creativity. There's so much more decision-making that needs to get done. Um, and, and then 
because of the fact that most people design businesses or business models, or they're always looking at competition, they can start to actually fall out of what would be their zone of genius because they're, they're mimicking other people so mm. much or mimicking other businesses. And they design what I call a trapped business or a trapped culture. And, um, and then they wonder why they're anxious or stressed. It's because they're not fundamentally personally built to go and win there. So, I mean, I say to people all the time that, um, you know, there's one, there's one Thursday every single month where I coach for 14 hours straight because I still have one-on-one -on -one clients. It just happens to be this one Thursday. I have big mentoring programs and, and whatnot. And my wife always says it every single month and has said it for a decade. I have no idea how you can walk into that room and walk out with the same energy. And I always give people this line and it's that, yeah, because I designed that treadmill for me. That treadmill is custom built for me to win on, not for other people. If someone tried to compete with me on straight coaching, you would lose. I already have 19,000 hours of one-on-one -on -one coaching with the most elite humans on the planet. Like there isn't much I haven't seen, haven't coached someone through, haven't supported someone through, haven't held someone accountable to and on and on. There isn't anyone on the planet who has a big enough ego that I can't crack it because I work with some of the biggest egos on the planet. I know exactly how to navigate that, but that's my treadmill. And so when working with business owners, business leaders, so many of them feel like, or at least they act like they don't have much control. And that's because they haven't picked up the pen and been so intentional and deliberate about what it is they're trying to design for themselves. Mm -hmm. Whereas an athlete going back to that doesn't really need to do that as much. They have to hone the instrument, which then comes back to the business owner. I approach the same way. We need to hone the instrument of the leader, the CEO, the corporate professional, whatever, in the same way. Because mm -hmm. that's the only controllable that we have. Yeah. How do they start beginning to, you know, they, they have their white paper, they got their pen. How do they start developing and formulating? What is their field of play going to look like? Where are the, where are the boundaries to keep it in the, the sports uh, yeah. world? How do they start creating kind of the, the, the rules of the game when yeah. there seemingly are no rules? Well... Um, I know that the people that are listening to, um, this particular podcast would be different than the like solo entrepreneur who's just starting out. And so the, the advice would be different for that person, for someone who's got, you know, in the, in the construction world or the engineering world, um, it's still defining out, well, what part of the market are we going to be going after? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and that's the who part of any equation. Um, and then what for that who are we going to be custom built to go and win on? Because you can't be all things to all people. Any business, any massive corporate entity that's ever tried to compete that way will always lose because there's always a smaller, more nimble, more quick moving, more agile, more innovative company that will come along and just, you know, chew away at the, uh, you know, 800 pound gorilla's ass that seems to be sitting in that market and they'll, they'll win um, that way. So who is it? What are we going to go and uh, help that group of people with? And, and then with that, now it's where are you already custom built to go and win? This is when you come back to the team or the leader themselves. 
So I'll give you an example. Like when I, this goes to a far smaller little uh, business, but when I was starting out, I uh, said before that I was grew up on a big farm and ranch. Um, my family's a big rodeo family uh, in Alberta, Canada, where I grew up. Um, and a part of that culture was 4-H. So if people don't know what 4-H is. 4-H is like agricultural Boy Scouts. And I grew up in 4-H. And so in 4-H, you always have to go into a speaking competition, you know, so you can learn public speaking, so you can get comfortable being on stage because the whole point of 4-H is to help develop civic leaders. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had a huge comfortability around getting on stage and speaking. Uh, my, my entire family did. My brothers did. I did. But that's because of those reps that we had in that training. So when I had to start now marketing this little fledgling mental game coaching business, the only thing I knew how to do from a marketing standpoint was speak. Uh, I had no other skills whatsoever. So I decided that I was going to go out and do as many free speeches as I could in my province of Alberta, where I started my business um, as possible. And I ended up doing 68 speeches, free speeches in 90 days. And back in 97, 98, when I did that, it created so much activity. And the great thing about speaking as a, uh, a platform is it's one of the best platforms to actually use because you're automatically branded as an expert or an authority or, or whatever the case is, whether you deserve it or not. And um, I didn't have to market that business basically after that point. It just mm -hmm. caught wildfire. And then I had great delivery. Like I was really good with the clients, got them results and customers. And so I had this great flywheel going. My point about that was it was accidental, but we're going back to like coming back to yourself and where you're custom built to go and win. I used speaking and still use it as my method of growing my business, my channel, um, so to speak, but that's because it was built off of the founder. And so there's, and I say that because a lot of times when people are looking at their strategy, mm. they're, they're discounting what they already have as great assets and resources that they could go and win with. And they try to do it a different way, someone else's way. And then they wonder why they're struggling with their approach. And that's because, yeah, that person over there was custom built to do that. Todd is custom built to go and speak. You know, I'm, super outgoing, super gregarious. I have no issues and challenges whatsoever being around human beings 24 seven. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty good custom built to go in and win in that space. So when you're looking at your field of play, it's always, always be mindful of having fantastic self-awareness about your skills, your assets, your resources that you have available to you right now, where you can start winning right now. A lot of people try and delay their win until X. When we have this, then we'll start winning. No, that is not how we would ever approach it with an athlete or I would approach it with a CEO or a leader is no, you can win right now. You're yeah. just, there's a blinder, there's a blind spot that's there. I think it's an interesting point that you bring up because I, I hear that a lot in talking with construction firms of they're, they're looking to a, a future date of when we get, you know, X amount of projects or, or when we have a slowdown in, in projects right now, there's uh, a, there's a lot of risk in, in construction, low margins, but there's so much work that is just backlogged because people can't mm -hmm. get to it. And so they, the, the tendency is to think, oh, I don't have time to do a deep dive and, and really review this and figure out kind of where the, the zone of genius is in our company and where the, 
that the strengths are and really kind of do that, that self analysis, what would you say to, to those people? And, uh, well, I mean, them? yeah, time, time is a, is a difficult resource because it's, we can't control it, but we can control the quality of the activities that go into time. And so that's where I go in when I, when I was working with the great thing about sports is it is the scoreboard is right there. You can see performance happen. Um, you know, you can see the, the score up there. You can see how many runs were scored or, or whatever. You can see someone's batting average or their uh, shooting percentage or what their save percentage, like all these different numbers. It's just sports has metrics built into it. Now, in business, when I got into working with corporate, and I'm talking like Shell, Chevron, you know, I worked with the government of Canada, the government of South Africa, like massive, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and when, when I started to bring my performance strategies into these worlds, I was like, oh, what's fascinating about this world is there's a lot of hiding. People hide behind busy work. Um, a lot of people don't love to take accountability for their actions. And without accountability, if you have zero or you got a very low rating on accountability inside your organization, I will 100% find a low performing organization. The moment there is a cultural shift towards people raising their hand, wanting to take accountability for something, I know right away they have very low levels of drama very low levels of toxicity inside their culture. They have high levels of self-efficacy, like meaning someone's belief in their capability. There's also high levels of trust because the person who raises their hand right away, they know they're not going to get fired for it, but they're going to be rewarded for the fact that they're taking accountability. And yeah, maybe there's a tough conversation there because something did massively, you know, get screwed up, but that trust part of the equation is at the very core and center of peak performance. An athlete, when they're pointing their, ski, their skis down the hill of a vertical face that would terrify most human beings on the planet, if they don't 100% trust their preparation, so what they did to get there, and their plan for how they get down the hill, that will erode their internal level of trust that they can do it. And I need 100% trust that that person has in themselves. And you can extrapolate that to a team, an organization. Trust is this just incredible metric. So going back to what we were talking about with regards to accountability and someone raising their hand or people hiding inside of organizations, that's when I started to bring in a scorecard system for how people look at their calendars and their activities going into their days. Because when you look at your activities and I can look at the quality of those activities that are going into the time. So when someone says, I don't have time, no, what you're lacking is either making something a priority, making something important so it does get in there, or there's just high levels of apathy. We're just doing things the way we're doing things. Things are going along well. Well, the problem is, is nature would tell you something different because nature is the world's greatest metaphor for everything. It's the greatest mental model out there because if something doesn't exist in nature, it doesn't exist. 
So what doesn't exist in nature is balance, homeostasis, right? No, things are just going along good. No, there's only two states in nature. Things are either growing or they're decaying and dying. So if, if someone tells me things are just going along pretty good, I mean, A, I need to qualify what that means. But in most instances, their actual organization, their culture, their performance, their numbers is actually declining and decaying. They just haven't maybe seen the number yet go fall off a cliff, but it will at some point in time. Hey, innovators. Do you want to help inspire the next generation of architects, engineers, and builders? Applied Software Great Tech Group does too. In fact, they have launched a scholarship contest and need your help spreading the word. If you know any students or teachers who could benefit from the contest, tell them to visit asti.com slash AEC scholarship for more information. Applied Great Tech is giving away over $1,000 to help students pursue their dreams. And we need your help to make it happen. So what are you waiting for? Let's make a difference together. What is the the mindset mindset shift that is is needed to really kind of uh, get into this this frame of, of reference of making the calendar your field play and having that as your scorecard? How do you how do you change that mindset? Well, something that I uh, you know teach and work with people on is this thing called uh, the activity scorecard, and if you were to go through all the activities in over the last couple of weeks and you, you put them into four columns, column number one is $10 per hour tasks. Column number two is $100 per hour tasks. Column number three is $500 per hour tasks. And then column number five or four, sorry, is um, $1,000 or $10,000 per hour tasks. And how we know something is $10 per hour is I could go and hire someone to do that work for $10 per hour. Let's say it was like washing the car or it was organizing files, okay? So if you looked at like all the activities that you did throughout your week and you started grading things, $100 per hour tasks is like more highly skilled tasks. Things like graphic design, um, engineering skills. Um, these are people that have typically some level of specialization, all right? Then you have, uh, $500 task. Those are like um, building out systems because now it's going to be replicated. Like you're, you're kind of working on something. It's going to be a higher return for you. And then mm -hmm. thousand or, you know, depending on just the, the, the kind of compensation of the person, it could be $10,000. That's how I grade myself is $10,000 per hour tasks is the final one. So me speaking on a stage somewhere, that's a $10,000 per hour task because I also know, well, how much I got paid for that speech, but then also the business that I get out of it. So that could be negotiating deals, um, setting up partnerships, um, could be even some qualities of networking. But when we start to actually grade the number of our activities, that's when we stop hiding. That's when we pull our activities out of this nebulous void of the calendar and we start making them accountable to a number. And then when you go, you add up, say, let's say I spent six hours today on $10 per hour tasks or two hours here. And I go, oh, wow, my goal is to be doing $15 million per year in our business. And how I just produced in my day was 250 bucks. 
because of the number of like, just, I spent six hours at 10, well, that's 60 bucks. Okay. I just paid myself 60 bucks. And again, is it real numbers? No, but if you do that over time, best of luck building a high value business or high value projects. Yeah. Is it important to to show it to somebody else and kind of have the uh, external accountability or just doing the exercises kind of the well, it's it both ways, but I've had people who did this a decade ago with me mm. loop back eight years later and say, I do this ritual every quarter for two weeks and I can't look at time the same way anymore because I'm now looking at it through the lens of the quality of my activities or the value of my activities. Like it's just there. And I can't hide from myself. And fundamentally, that's what performance is, is, you know, you, we can hide from others. We can kind of, and we've seen it inside of organizations, you know, people who hide, they always, they don't actually ever do the work or they, they take credit for other people's work, but eventually you get found out. Um, but you can't hide from yourself because you know whether or not you're actually producing your valuable work, but you can, if you want, you can have accountability partners. You can have another like VP or president or buddy or whatever the case is. And you guys both do it with each other. Um, but not necessary. Yeah. Interesting. So I want to shift a little bit. Uh, you wrote the book, the, the alter ego effect. Uh, what is that for the, the listening audience? So as I was, um, working with, um, athletes and then, you know, started working with higher caliber, higher quality, uh, athletes. And I was operating across tons of different sports. I wasn't someone who was just sports specific, like hockey. That's where I started was hockey in Canada, but then, you know, got into like soccer and then there was equestrian and there was like table tennis and there was tennis and there was, um, biathletes. Um, so cross country skiers. The, the great thing about working with all these different sports was, and then working with some of the top athletes in all these different sports was this sort of golden thread started to reveal itself of the best of the best. They would talk to me about how they had this persona that they would step into when they would go out there and compete or this alter ego or a secret identity, or they had this identity that they had when they would go and compete. Now that resonated with me because when I played football, I had one as well called Geronimo. And, uh, it was born out of the fact that I was super insecure about the fact that I was, um, scrawny, let's just say. Um, but I had this way bigger idea of who I could be on that football field. I just couldn't put on any weight. I was just one of those kids, but I was a good athlete and I was fast, but, um, I built a Geronimo to go out there and compete with me. And he was a composite of Walter Payton and Ronnie Lott, two of my heroes in uh, the NFL and upcoming hall of famers. And then five Native American warriors. And uh, that was born out of the fact that where I grew up uh, in Alberta was rich with Native American history. And I always had this kind of affinity towards it. So I had drawn one. So when these other athletes would talk about their alter ego or persona, I would be like, oh, wait, that's really cool. But then after a while, I was like, wait a second. I went back to all the data because I tracked everything in spreadsheets. And I was like, wait, my athletes that are consistently performing at the highest levels, keep on bringing up this identity thing. This is an actual thing. And so I'd go back and I didn't really like, how did you get into yours? And like, what's your process? And why did you create it? And, and then I built up this method. Um, and it was not long after that, I built up that method that my mentor was reached out to from Kobe Bryant. And uh, cause Kobe was going through a very challenging time in 2003 
And then my mentor knew that kind of, I was more the right fit for him because of this approach that I had called identity-based performance. Um, and I could work with people really, really fast. So I, I built out the Black Mamba with Kobe um, in a pretty short amount of time. And that's what I became known for. So the alter ego for someone who's not familiar, uh, the great thing about it is every single person who's been listening to this has already used it because we do it as kids very naturally. We play with our identities. There's no sense of me and myself. Uh, when we're young and we're developing really, really quickly, we, we take on the role and the idea of someone or something else when we're in playtime and when we're being playful. And it's this great uh, grease slide to skill acquisition and making change happen fast. And then we lose it because the frontal lobe starts to develop and our reasoning skills comes in and we gotta look more serious. We gotta act like an adult and all this kind of like, you know, crazy ideas <clears throat> that get into our heads. But um, the term alter ego means the other eye or trusted friend within. We all know the importance of having great mentors or friends and peers and allies that are there for us. But most of us don't think about it in the context between the six inches of our own ears. And so that alter ego for me became this great form and model that I could help someone develop so that they now had a very clear idea of what they're trying to become. Because when people are saying that they're trying to change themselves, the hardest part about that for a lot of people is that they don't have a very clear image and picture of what that's going to look like. And that's important to human beings because 70% of our brain is dedicated to the visual cortex. I mean, in your guys' world, engineering, blueprints, it's really hard to build a building well if there isn't something that's been pictured and modeled out, right? Sure. We wouldn't just go and drop off a bunch of wood and a bunch of steel and a bunch of you know nails and bolts and things and say, okay, go get after it, guys. <laughs> <Good luck. laughs> I mean, I'm sure they could build something, but it's not going to resemble what you actually needed. So we laugh, but then when we're trying to build the scaffolding of developing human beings and helping them transform, we don't think of it the same way, and yet we should. Mm -hmm. So that mental picture and model of what I'm trying to move towards, inspired by someone or something else, right? Like Kobe Bryant's was the Black Mamba, which he got inspiration from the movie Kill Bill. Um, you know, Winston Churchill had his alter egos. Um, in the book, I talk about Martin Luther King and his alter ego who wrote his speeches for him because he didn't want to get in the way with his ego of this movement that he was trying to create and build. So he had this distinguished self that sat down. He put on a pair of fake glasses and he would write his speeches through this lens of a distinguished self. Um, even for myself, it's not just exclusive to like, sports or business or speaking on a stage or an entertainer on a stage um, as well. I have my model in my mind of how I want to show up for my kids. I'm a dad to three little kids. So my mental model for who I'm trying to be inspired by with their traits and their qualities and their um, abilities is Mr. Rogers. So Fred Rogers, um, who, you know, largest children's uh, television entertainer of all time, amazing man. But the way that he would show up for those kids is what I want to be like for my kids. So it's just a super useful mental model um, to help people transform far more quickly because everyone has an excuse. Everyone has a story and a narrative about who they think they are. But all that is, is just the hard candy, candy coated shell around you called your current personality. And it's not baked. 
we can change, we can morph, we can develop, which only gets back to my uh, conversation we were having earlier with about mental toughness. It's mm -hmm. flexible, adaptable. Mm -hmm. I'm always going to be evolving. I'm always going to be developing. And, uh, you know, it's just a, a way better frame to be approaching life through. Yeah. How do you take it from kind of the, the intellectual exercise and, and self-assessment and then really bringing that out into reality? Well, so a couple of things. Once you find that kind of source of inspiration for whoever and whatever that would be, A, make sure that you have a res you you resonate with it. Like it's because we're storytelling beings. Um, so people can get the intellectual concept and they know what they want to be like now. They know what they want to be doing. They know what the they know what they want their behaviors to be like, they know what they want their results to be like. But we're triune beings. So we're mental, emotional, and physical beings operating in a social world. So you have the idea and you know what you want to be doing, but the drawbridge of action is always emotion. That's why it's so important, so important that we emotionally resonate with whatever our source of inspiration would be. I didn't like just grab Mr. Rogers off the shelf. I grew up watching him. I didn't need to invent that kind of connection that I had with, um, with him. Um, Kobe Bryant with the black Mamba watching it. And it was just the fierceness. It was the striking, like it was everything that he related it to his own challenges he was going through. And that's, I need to bring that out onto the court because mm -hmm. I can't bring this insecure challenged guy who's dealing with a lack of confidence right now. Cause his world is crumbling around him out onto the court. Cause I'll get destroyed in you know, this level of competition. So always there has to be an, an emotional level of resonance. But then when we bring it out onto that field of play or in that role in our life, because we're not building an alter ego for everything. That's a mistake. We don't have one identity. We have many, many roles that we play. It's always specific to one thing that we're doing hmm. um, or one role that we have. Then it's, well, I want to use a totem, an artifact, something physical to help activate that because it creates a triggering moment. Um, and there's this psychological phenomenon called enclosed cognition, which means that human beings, when we put on an article of clothing or an item, whatever story or meaning we have around that item, we'll actually naturally enclose our mind into the cognitive traits and abilities of that thing. So for example, uh, a pair of glasses. So you wouldn't think that you'd be able to like increase your IQ level just by putting on something. But studies show that by putting on a pair of glasses can increase an IQ level of someone by upwards of 12 points. So there are people like when you're going, so think about, okay, well, where does that help? Well, that would help if I'm doing the activity of a test or an exam, or if I'm trying to be more studious or serious or more detailed and methodical, that item helps. So that was actually the item that I used. Um, I went and bought a pair of non-prescription fake glasses when I was 21 and I started my business and I was super insecure about how young I looked and I wasn't doing the things I needed to do to grow my business. I wasn't reaching out and calling people. I was really good as a coach already. Still needed to get way, way better. But for my you know teenage clients that I was working with, I was really good. But I was not good because I was uh, at reach at doing promotion and sales because I was so worried about what other people thought of me, rejection, resistance. Mm -hmm. So I built out Super Richard, who was a composite of Joseph Campbell, Benjamin Franklin, 
and uh, Superman. And the those three coming together, my traits that I wanted to exhibit was someone who is decisive, someone who is confident, and someone who is articulate. You know, confident, Benjamin Franklin. The guy had seven legendary careers in his lifetime. I mean, it's hard to, his biography I've read over 80 times. Confident or decisive, Superman. He was the man of action. I wasn't being decisive. I was picking traits that I wasn't exhibiting and I was simply doing the reverse of them. And then articulate, I wasn't saying the things that I needed to say about my business. And I wanted to be more articulate like Joseph Campbell. And then I bought the pair of fake glasses and then that became my trigger. And just like Superman puts on the glass to become Clark Kent, the mild-mannered version of himself, I was doing the reverse of that. It was becoming like I was putting on that cape. And so to your question around how do we do this though? Well, who you are and how you show up, that's a practiced habit. Your identity, most people don't think of it this way. That's a practiced habit of identity that you have. You wake up every day, you don't challenge it. You just sort of go about your business with it. This process is super creative, super playful, very intentional, and it's custom built to a certain role or identity that you have, which aligns with what is needed to win on that field of play. And that's what's made this so successful. I've built out hundreds of thousands of alter egos. Um, it's won multiple um, gold medals at Olympics. It's won NBA championships. It's won, you know, um, Hall of Fame careers for people. And it's been in the public figure space. It's been in the entertainment space. It's in the entrepreneurial space. It's in moms and dads building it out. I've had billionaires um, build out one for themselves as a dad or a mom, because that's where they feel like they're most under indexing. They kept on bringing their CEO self home. Well, that doesn't work because there's certain traits that are different needed to win in the home. Mm -hmm. So let's be intentional about that. Now, what do you think the impact of imagination and innovation is on a business? Well, they go together. I mean, um, the impact of that just as a... Um, attitude that you bring in because some people sort of posture with it like we use imagination or we're innovative and it's sort of like uh, marquee words that sit above um, the the sign on the door or on the values inside of the company but they don't get applied mm -hmm. but when it becomes the dna of you no know, we apply imagination every single day in the way that we come up with the designs and the builds of our structures or of our projects. And we embrace innovation every single day, week, and month. Because innovation is looking at optimizing something, um, or it's look, looking at automating something, or it's looking at borrowing from a completely different industry, just like Henry Ford did when they borrowed from the world of uh, slaughterhouses to create cars. Innovation is typically never going to be found inside the industry. You need to be looking outside of the industry. So then the question I have for people who say, well, no, we're innovative. Show me in the behavioral actions in your week, how you demonstrate innovation or imagination or creative imagination. I'll give you an example. So I don't know if you've ever in like the Hudson News and Bookstore at the um, airport when you're getting on a flight, right? So a lot of times yeah. you've got a little time before your, your flight and you're looking at something to buy or munch on when you're on the plane. 
And my favorite thing to do is go to someone who's at the magazine stand and um, just ask them, hey, quick question for you. Um, what's, a, what's a magazine that's kind of random that you sometimes pick up and read? And they're like, oh, good question. You know what? Um, I have a hobby of woodworking. So I have to, I actually pick up, um, you know, American woodworking just to see what projects are out there. And I'm like, great. And I grab that magazine and that's what I go and buy. So again, I'm applying, this is going back to the whole field of play thing, the conversation earlier. Mm -hmm. I love meeting people, I love talking to people, doesn't intimidate me in the least, get to strike up a conversation. And then they'll ask me, oh, why are you going to get that? And I'm like, well, you know what? Like I'm going to go and grab the same magazines. I have my own rhythms. And so I like to find out what other people are reading. And then I'm always going to find something really cool in there. And I have found innovative ways of doing training because I'm a coaching and training company. Um, I've found innovative ideas on bringing props and different things in. I find cool stories and metaphors that I could be using when I'm communicating with people. So I have been able to innovate, lead my industry in my categories that I operate in, not because I think I'm so smart, but because my inputs are creative. They're, they're sourced from different areas. And so, um, I just find so many people in their industries, they're so myopic. They only look within themselves. And if they would start to get inspired by inputs outside of themselves, that's how you know that you're innovative and you're imaginative is when you take it and you start applying it and thinking about, well, Hey, this is really cool. This magazine, as I'm flipping through it, like, how could I, cause we're always filtering things through our own problems, our own challenges, our own issues. Mm -hmm. Um, that's when you're going to get sparks of inspiration. Yeah. I, I love that. I'm a huge believer as well of finding the, the creative uh, crossovers that, that you can pull in from, from other industries or even not even in the business world and just being open to a, a new idea of, Hey, that's, that's pretty cool. How does, how would this work? coming over here and into to my space and just kind of thinking yeah. about trying it on for size and, and seeing where the, uh, the pitfalls may be, but also where the, the crossover is. And there's, there's a lot more crossover when you are taking well, that approach. I'll tell you, so th there was once I picked up a magazine from this one. Uh, she was, uh, she was probably in her like mid to late sixties. Um, I'd say she was probably like a Norman Rockwell type grandma. And so I asked her and, um, actually got into like a 30 minute conversation with her. She was super friendly. And, uh, but hers was a knitting magazine. So I mm -hmm. picked up this knitting one and I probably walked away with most of that magazine dog-eared and highlighted with a bunch of phenomenal ideas for an oil company that I was working with to apply a bunch of new innovations into some of the way that they were training and developing their leaders, um, inside their, their company. Like it was just this great. It was perfect timing, this cataclysm of like some ideas from there coupled with just the challenges that I was knocking my head around with. And, uh, yeah, we had some great wins from it. That's awesome. Well, how do people find out more information and connect with you? Well, my home base on the interwebs is, uh, Todd Um, and I'm kind of everywhere that, uh, social media is as well, putting out content every single, um, day and week, but yeah, just, uh, ping me there or reach out or tag me in LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever you operate with like a favorite takeaway from today or engage and connect. And yeah, appreciate you guys having me on the show. Awesome. Well, Todd, final question for you. If I could give you all power and you could snap your fingers and innovate one aspect of 
uh, kind of what, what we've been talking about or you can, sky's the limit. Uh, what would you pick to, to innovate? Oh, it would be taking off the governor on people's creative imagination and mm-hmm. uh, bringing more attitudes of playfulness into the way that we operate and work. It is really the ultimate superpower of human beings is our creative imagination. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying that love isn't important. It's hundred percent, but we're uniquely built to use this creative imagination that we have and just more people aren't nurturing it like they could with the way that they show up in the world, how they um, bring themselves into situations and just their inputs. So it would 100% be just like, I'd love to just blow the lid off of people's creative imaginations. That's awesome. Uh, love that. Uh, I think that's a great way to, to end it. Todd, thanks so much for taking the time and coming on the show. Cheers. Appreciate the opportunity. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, I loved Todd's line that grit is an attitude that no matter what, I will find a way to succeed. Construction is uniquely gifted in this area. Finding a way to make it happen when you run into a hurdle is the name of the game in this industry. Second take, on a practical note, take time to organize your calendar. Todd mentioned that this is really one of the scorecards we can look at. I've done this and it has made a tremendous difference to adopt that mindset. And final take, take the time to model and plan human development just as you would for designing a building. You can win right now. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software Great Tech Group at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining the conversation to model the future on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software Great Tech Group production. Copyright Applied Software Great Tech Group 2023.